six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Hello, everybody, and welcome. It's Wednesday, so that means you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird, and I want to remind you, you are listening to volunteer-powered, listener-sponsored community radio, WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. And we are continuing again this week. So many fabulous people running to be the next senator to represent the United, uh, to represent Wisconsin in the U.S. government. Um, We're continuing our conversation today. Two additional candidates are joining us today. For the first half of the show, we'll be talking with Peter Pekarski, and the second half, we'll be talking with Daryl Williams. So, want to make sure we have plenty of time. Let's get straight to it. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Great to be here. It's great to have we're, you. We're great, we're great to even... Uh, <laughs> Uh, although I may be elsewhere, great, great to be in Madison today. Right, right. Your voice is in Madison. That that's that's good enough for the day, right? Traveling the state of Wisconsin, I'm sure you're all over the state. Um, but tell us a little bit about um yourself and why you're running for United States Senate. Um, I'm running for the Senate because this is what I can do for my country. As far as a little bit about myself, I'm a fourth generation Wisconsinite, born and bred in Milwaukee. Uh, graduated from high school there, got a couple degrees from, uh, uh, got a couple degrees after that, one in, uh, actually both of them from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, one of them in electrical engineering, got a law degree from Case Western Reserve, uh, was a civilian consultant to the Chief of Naval Operations of the United States Navy on matters of strategic nuclear forces and platforms, and to the Director of Naval Intelligence on matters of naval intelligence, spent a long time and currently as an intellectual property lawyer handling a lot of high-tech cases, patent, copyright, trademark, antitrust, a substantial amount of election law um, in court, uh, in, been involved in election protection activities for about 20 years uh, on behalf of the party in various parts of the country, uh, including obviously Wisconsin, uh, where I've handled the you know, on the ground work in the polling sites in the middle of Milwaukee, trying to make sure nobody's interfering with them on election day. So I might be in 40 or 50 polling places on election day and do other things in 2020 uh, at the request of the Biden campaign during the primaries, uh, the uh, Democratic National Committee, the California Democratic Party, the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, and other groups. I donated about 2,000 hours of my professional time to a successful effort to protect the election. Another thing I did was I was national director of, of an election software project in seven battleground states and in the uh, two contests, two Senate races in Georgia in January of 2021. Hmm. Uh, those efforts were successful um, in protecting the vote. Um, so that's sort of a, uh, oh yeah, the other thing I did in uh, 2020 was I contributed to the campaign of every Wisconsin Democrat running for a seat not then held uh, by a Democrat in the Wisconsin Assembly, the Wisconsin Senate, or the United States House of Representatives. Um, and as to why I'm running, um, among other things, as I said, this is what I can do for my country. Well, thank you, Peter, for... Or, or for our country, anyway. Yes, yes, we're all in it together. Here we are. Um, thank you, Peter, for d- just helping us understand a little bit of your background and and the um, experience that you would bring to this seat. I want to talk about, when I go to your website, um, before we take a deeper dive into all those things, I go to your website and it talks about uh, electing a real progressive. What does that mean to you that you are a real progressive? Somebody's got to step up to the plate on, on a whole bundle of issues, um, whether it's universal health care as a basic right, um, supporting workers in unions and union jobs, and fair, you know, fair elections for workers when they want to unionize uh, their place of work, uh, sustainable agriculture. There, there's a lot of stuff going on. Unfortunately, we've lost a lot of dairy farmers uh, through suicide and elsewhere in Wisconsin. This is a major tragedy for every one of those families and for all of us, but dairy farmers, other farmers are under enormous pressure uh, because it looks like the antitrust laws are not being enforced. Uh, There are a lot of middle people in the middle between the farm and the table, between the farm and the consumer, who are getting a bigger and bigger piece of the pie, uh, possibly in violation of federal law. There's a Packers and Stockyards Act. 
their antitrust laws, which are supposed to be enforced vigorously as far as I'm concerned, by the Antitrust Division of the United States Department of Justice, uh, which is something I intend to pay very close attention to when it's happening. Another thing the United States, the Antitrust Division is supposed to be paying attention to is what's going on in the oil markets. Uh, whether what, is, what we're seeing now at the pump is totally a matter of supply and demand or of uh, monopolistic conduct uh, remains to be seen, but they certainly ought to be looking at it. Uh, it means taking some action. I mean, we may have gone a little bit too long here, but it means taking some action to stop using government money uh, to support fossil fuel companies. And this money is coming from banks whose deposits are insured by you, Carousel, and everybody else in this country um, through the FDIC. Uh, it means stepping up to the plate and trying to do what one can to end systemic racism. There are, there are a, whole, a whole lot of things that have got to get done uh, in that regard, whether we're talking about uh, legalizing marijuana, whether we're talking about letting people out of jail who are there because they had a joint and, and they might, you know, for personal use, they weren't selling it. Uh, it was totally personal possession. Um, they're spending time in jail. That, that, that should not be going on. Um, anyway, that's sort of the issues. Okay. So the, in a, yeah, anyway, when you that, think of that, real progressive. When you think Sorry. of real progressive, you think of all these pieces all together um, being a progressive on all those pieces. Got it. That's helpful to know. Um, OK, well, let's sort of break this down. Um, I want to start with your election protection work, especially because that's so I mean, right now we're talking um, the world is talking about, you know, what's happening at the Capitol right now and the, the review of the January 6th. Uh, the January 6th hearings and what happened there and the important role of election protection. Talk to me about what kind of actions you would do at the U.S. Capitol to help ensure um, the safety of our votes. If we're just talking about the physically protecting the electoral votes, it should have happened. Let me point something. It should have happened. Let me try and say this as diplomatically as possible. Yeah. By, by inaugural day, there were big black fences up around the Capitol and various other sites uh, in, in the Capitol. They go up every inaugural day to control the crowds. These are not the, the little bike fences you saw in some of the video on January 6th. These are eight feet tall, they're heavy, they're metal. N nobody's going through them, okay? Those were all gonna be in place anyway by about January 14th, a week before the inaugural. All right, so if all of those had been up a week earlier, instead of January 14, January 5, what you saw wouldn't have happened. Right, th that didn't happen. So that's a very simple thing that can be done to protect the accounting of the electoral votes. You think there needs to be fences protecting our, our, our government entities that are working on the electro on counting the vote? You, you mean like... It makes me think of the the visual of what happened in Arizona, right, and things like that. So you're thinking the buildings should no, have no, more no, fences? No, no, okay. no, you asked me about the United States Capitol. Okay. I'm talking specifically about the United States Capitol. I'm not talking about any neighborhood polling place. Okay. I'm talking specifically about protecting that site when okay. the actual election is held. It's specifically in protecting the counting of the votes on January 6th. Oh, you mean the certification. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah but, but, te but technically, no, yeah, yeah, they're certifying the votes, but technically nobody gets elected president until they get the votes in the Electoral College. Gotcha. And those votes get counted on January 6th. That, I'm talking specifically about that. I am not suggesting this for a second for your neighborhood polling place. Okay, okay. Or, or, or any place else. I want to make that very clear. OK, I mean, there are, there are police departments all over the country. There are election inspectors all over the country. Sure. There are dedicated local officials all over the country who are doing a very good job. So so let's get right. back to I mean, I appreciate the work that you were talking about, um, that you were part of Georgia and that you did election protection and you you filed lawsuits here in Wisconsin. Um, talk to us about the work that you've done when it comes to uh, voters access to the ballot box. The, 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 I support the efforts to make sure certain that everybody gets to vote without obstruction. If you're 18, you vote, period, end of story. There are a lot of people who don't want that to happen. You know, so I've done what I could to support that. In terms of on the ground, um, on election day, the Republicans used to 
actively interfere with what was going on in Milwaukee. And I was there to make sure they didn't. Um, and I'll tell you one story. One of the first things I did was one of the big, um, well, before the election, this was back in 02, uh, the, the uh, chair of the Republican Party of Wisconsin said he was going to put people in green vests in the middle of Milwaukee, in the polling sites, where the vote is in excess of 99% Democratic, to make sure there was no vote, vote or voter fraud going on. There is no voter fraud. Anyway, he had people there in green vests. And at the time, it, it, it was we had just started out on election protection in Wisconsin. I called up the party chair and I said, yeah, look, whatever they did in Florida two years ago is in Florida. They're not doing it in Wisconsin. So we set up a team and the county chair, the chair of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, we get calls from, from people and they'd call me or one of the other lawyers and say, okay, go and fix it. It's going on at this voting site. So I got to one of the voting sites. It happened to be Garden Homes, which is one of the largest, at the time was one of the largest voting sites in the city of Milwaukee, walked in um, and we had a person on the scene. Uh, and I said, what's going on? And he said, well, there's this guy in a green vest over there standing three feet away from the voters telling them how to vote. Um, so I talk, turn, talk to the chief inspector, because that's the protocol. You talk to the chief inspector who controls the site. And I said, what's going on? And chief inspector said, sorry, I had my back turned. So I went with our observer, who happened to have been a uh, member of the uh, city championship basketball team a couple of years, just a few years before. And we went over and had a chat with the gentleman in the green vest. And the chat went something like this. Uh, I said, uh, my colleague here says, that um, you've been telling people how to vote, like standing over there where they're lined up again, you know, in the voting booths. Said, no, 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 I wouldn't do any such thing. I was just sort of doing something. And I said, okay, fine. You weren't doing it. I'm glad to hear that. Don't do it again. And here's the drill. This gentleman here um, is gonna be playing man-to-man -man defense. So you stand here, right here, away from the people voting all day long, watch whatever you want to. He's gonna be standing right next to you and if you talk to those people, two things are going to happen. One, he's going to call me, and I'm going to call the Milwaukee Police Department, and they'll be here rather rapidly. And two, I'm coming back here, and I'm going to do whatever I can to make certain that, courtesy of the state of Wisconsin, you get an all-expenses-paid vacation for about five years someplace upstate. So he minded his manners for the rest of the day. And that protected the right of those people to vote mm -hmm. without being told how to vote by some guy wearing a green vest. There were other occasions when somebody, one time, the rule in Wisconsin, if you're voting in person, if you're voting absentee, you've got to have the initials of one inspector on the back of the ballot. If you're voting in person on election day, there got to be the initials of two inspectors. So if you're voting in person on election day and you have a ballot with one set of initials on it and there's a recount, they're going to throw it out because they know it came in, in the group that was in person on election day, and there's only one set of initials. Okay. So the Republicans got, got, came in, got a hold of the, somehow convinced the election inspectors to move out of the way, and for several hours in the morning, again, we're talking a 99% Democratic ward here. So you lose a vote, you pretty much knew, know who's losing that vote. They handed out a lot of ballots with single initials on it. So somebody called me, got over there, and was about to get into it when, um, have a chat with them and the inspector, when two people showed up from the Wisconsin Attorney General's office. You know, they looked like they played front four for the Green Bay Packers, and they resolved the matter very quickly. But it, it, and there are other places where people might come up uh, and they want to vote, and you can register same day in Wisconsin. You got to have certain um, identifying information, like a driver's license or something, and you can register and vote. And sometimes you don't quite have the right piece of information, and they'll say, no, you can't register to vote. So I would talk to the people and say, hey, look, there are about 20 different kinds of information you can get, and you got half an hour left, go home, get it, and come back. And make certain, you know, and they came back, and I made certain they got in there, talked to the inspector, gave it, whether it was a rental agreement or whatever it was, telephone bill, bank bill, and they got registered to vote. And the gentleman thanked me later, because um, we had made certain that he got the right to vote. I mean, that's sort of at the, at the very grassroots level, on a very one-on-one -on -one basis, making sure that it happens but somebody's got to be there to do it. Okay. Otherwise, those people who are entitled to vote wouldn't be voting. We're talking right now with Pete Pekarski. He's one of the candidates running for, uh, running to be the next U.S. Senator for the state of Wisconsin. Peter, I want to talk about um, some of the other things you... Uh, at the beginning, when you were telling us about your credentials and, and the work that you've done, you talked about your work with um, Naval Intelligence. 
I want to sort of pull on that and conversations about international relations and particularly managing, you know, the the many, many wars and military interactions that are sort of always happening at any given time and balancing that with appropriate use of the military. And I know on your website you talk about stopping endless wars. Talk to us about your international um policy views and experience and thoughts on the use of the military? Uh, my view of it is also coupled with justice for veterans. Uh, they've been there for us and it's our obligation to protect them for the rest of, you know, to provide the metal, metal, mental, mental health care, physical health care that they need for the rest of their lives promptly yes. when they need it. As far as international affairs and forever wars, the United States Constitution which every senator must promise to support as a condition precedent to taking office, uh, says there's supposed to be a declaration of war. Hasn't been a declaration of war by the United States Congress uh, since about December, I think it was roughly 8th of 1941, and that war ended on roughly September 9th of 1945. So since, the, and leaving aside what happened in Korea because it arguably was authorized by the United Nations Security Council with whom we have a treaty, and that's been over since about 1953 anyway, um, this, this country has not been at war under our Constitution uh, since, let's say, 1945. Now, that's not what's broadcast on television or in the newspapers. And people refer to it that way. But the point is, if somebody's going to engage in active wars, specifically the President of the United States, because he is the Commander-in-Chief of our military forces, he's got to get a declaration of war from the United States Congress. It's not an authorization. The Constitution does not talk about an authorization for a use of military force. That's unknown to the Constitution. It, 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 we're not talking about, oh, gee whiz, if we think something happened in the Gulf of Tonkin, we're going to have war there for 15, 20 years. That's not the way the Constitution's written. That's not the way I read it. And it's the obligation of a United States senator to be there and to ask some questions when things happen. In particular, when somebody steps up to the plate and says, yeah, okay, X happened, so we ought to commit acts of war against these people. If, if somebody's proposing doing that without a, and I'm not talking about an immediate, I'm not talking about somebody attacking across the United States border. I'm talking about somebody 10,000 miles away doing something, which is typically what happens, you know, which we deem is not in the national interest. Well, that very well may happen. I don't support people's doing things against the national interest of the United States. But in terms of going to war over it, there's got to be a declaration of war by the United States Congress. That means the House and the Senate. So somebody wants to go to war, and I'm a United States senator, whoever wants to do that is going to have to come up with a lot of information and answer a bundle of questions. So, I mean, and going back historic, maybe you've got a question, and I've taken too much no, time. No, no, Peter, you're fine. I was wondering, so are there any current deployments that you would want to further investigate if you were uh, on the in the U.S. Senate? If we're, just reading from the newspapers, it, it is, and maybe I should read more carefully, it is not quite clear what's going on in Syria right now. Um, and I don't, and I could be wrong, I could be missing something. But I, you know, I could be missing something, but I don't think our armed forces are engaged in conflict anywhere right now. Okay. We are, we are not on the ground or in the air, as I understand matters, from the public sources, for example, in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. We may be supplying them with, with supplies, but none of our troops um, are in that fight. Um, you know, so there's no violation of the Constitution, or at least at that level doesn't look like it. Okay. I mean, if you want to point me in some direction, fine. No, but I'm, no. You that, know, that... But, but the, the point is right now, sure, we've got troops under the command of the President of the United States all over the world, but none of them, and again, I could be missing something, appear to be actively engaged in combat right now. Peter. And there's, and let, me, let, me, let me mention one other thing while yeah, we're at it. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that's the money involved. In, in this and many other things, people are happy to come up, come to the plate and say, OK, let's spend a billion dollars on X, whatever X is, whatever it is. And somebody's got to be there every time somebody comes up with some other idea to spend a billion dollars, whether it's on international affairs, national security at home, whatever, and say, um, yeah, let's consider what else we can do with the billion dollars. For example, with that billion dollars, 
I can buy full tuition, or we can buy full tuition for a year for 100,000 students at any one of the UW campuses, or full tuition for a year for 200,000 students at any one of the campuses of the technical colleges in Wisconsin. Um, somebody's got to at least ask that question. I'm there to ask it. And what answer you get, and you very well may decide, yeah, okay, whatever X, whatever people propose, yeah, we're going to spend it on that. But they should at least realize when they do that, that the alternative was, for example, buying education for a year for 200,000 students. We need our senators to be better stewards of the taxpayer money and to ask more questions. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, Peter, I wanted to ask you, um, pick up on your conversation about um, the struggles of farmers in Wisconsin. Certainly um, such a huge base and really something that even the economic challenges that everyone faces, it translates for farmers in rural communities to those of us living in Madison and Milwaukee, Green Bay, the bigger cities. Talk to me about the economic challenges for agriculture and overall your vision to support the economic challenges that everyone's facing these days. In terms of the farmers, uh, the, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the United States Department of Justice Antitrust Division has got to get into it in a serious way. Um, to find out whether things are going, there's been a consolidation in the, in the, call them the, the middle persons, the, the processors, the people between the farm and the table, the people who process the meat, the people who process the grain. Yes. And as you get more and more, more and more concentration of the people on both ends, that is the farmers and the consumers tend to get, tend to get squeezed and the profits go to the people in the middle. But somebody's got to look at that. Somebody's got to look at the information made available to farmers when they sell their products that goes somewhat to the Packers and Stockyards Act, somewhat to the United States Department of Agriculture. As far as what we're facing in Madison and Milwaukee, there, there are issues about price of gasoline, which we've discussed. Now, there are issues about the price of food. You know, and maybe one's got to step back and take a look at what happened in this country. And everybody seemed, I didn't have a vote in it, but they voted to take $4.5 trillion of your money, give it to somebody, and use it to make the world safe for junk bond investors. And that's what they did. And the money went, this is a gross oversimplification. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can get an email. But it's continuing the concept of, of misuse of our, our government funds, not putting it where it should be. No, but the point is the four, I mean, you had to maintain stability in the financial markets. Okay. Everybody's got a bank. Many people have bank accounts. You got to have some place to cash a check to, to, if you have savings to put them and know they're secure. The point is, that one view of this is they took the 4.5 trillion, they used it to make the world safe for junk bond investors, which meant it went into the stock market. When they ran out of stocks to buy, they put it into commodities. That's the same commodity that you're trying to buy at the supermarket. And if they're driving up the price of the commodities, mm. they're gonna drive up the, you know, the cost of a loaf of bread at the supermarket, or, 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 you know, or the cost of an apple at the supermarket. Or, oranges are commodities, I think apples may not be, but that was going on. And, and somebody had to pay attention to, to what was happening. I mean, the other thing was a lot of people got tossed out of work. Uh, the Europeans handled it differently. They kept on supporting everybody, uh, made sure they had a job or held on to a job. Their job was to stay home with a mask on. And when it was all over or, or tailed off somewhat, they had a job. Their employers had trained employees and the employers and the people were still in business. That's not what happened here. Um, one could go into it's going to take much more than half an hour to sort this yes, out well but 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 that somebody should have been stepping up to the plate and saying something and see if there was some other way to do it and the same kind of thing happened in 2008 when there was that collapse uh, uh, credit default swaps when that all went on and a whole bunch of money got put in there and it is as I understand it either somewhere between zero and very few people uh, have done any time over that and there was a there was a lot of uh, shall we say, misrepresentations going on in the securitization market for those securities. Now, that, that's sort of off the beaten track a little bit, but you asked about currently. Yeah. Currently, that's that's the issue. Well, and I appreciate how everything, right, it, it's all connected. One leads to another and, and really goes back to your progressive values at the beginning of, of fighting, you know, for, for progressive values each step along the way. Um, Peter, we, there is never enough time to, to get to everything. In our, our final moments here, how can people learn more about your campaign uh, and um, find a way to uh, see you along the campaign trail? 
Uh, take a look at PekarskiForWisconsin.com, PekarskiForWisconsin.com. Take a look at the Twitter feed, uh, Twitter.com forward slash PekarskiForWI. Uh, if you want to uh, listen to, we're on radio across the state. Um, can I mention two other radio stations? You I mean, can, they're, they're, absolutely. Okay, in Madison, we're on WTTN. I mean, all these stations are streamed, but over the air, it's WTTN uh, in Madison, WAUK uh, in Waukesha, WTMJ, WNOV, WGKB in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. I think it's WTAQ in Green Bay, WIZM in La Crosse, WSAU in Wausau. Uh, I think it's I don't I think it's WEAU. I could be wrong in Eau Claire. We're on uh, KDAL in Duluth Superior and WGLR in Platteville. I think. I'm, oh, yeah, WCLO and That Janesville. is so impressive oh. that you just rattled all that off. You weren't reading a list at all. You've got an incredible memory. Yeah, right. So so we're on the air there. You can listen to those stations. You can look at the Twitter feed. Look at the website. If you want to help, we got the cost driven down to about $12.50 for some of those spots. So, so if you got $12.50 and you want to help keep those spots on the air, you can listen to them. Uh, just hit the website. On the upper right, there's the contribute button. Really appreciate it, and thank you and your listeners very much for uh, taking the time to uh, listen today. Well, thank or for you, you to be on and, and for the listeners to listen. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Peter. And now you've been on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. So it's perfect. You've wrapped it all up. Um, thank you so much, Peter Prokarski. Uh, thank you for joining us, and best of luck, candidate for United States Senate. And now I had an opportunity to interview um, uh, Daryl Williams. Let's listen to that conversation next. So, Daryl, I'm so glad you're able to join us today. Thank you for um, coming on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're running for United States Senate? It is my pleasure to be here today. My name is Dr. Daryl Williams. I'm originally from a little small town called Abbeville, Mississippi. All right. But I moved here to Wisconsin. I was recruited here to teach. So I was uh, honored to to, uh, be here. But in Abbeville, Mississippi, is a little small town, about 316 people. Some people say it's one of the last towns in the nation to still pick cotton by hand. And that's how I grew up. And I learned the value of hard work by picking cotton for what we call two of a hundred. That's two dollars for every hundred pounds of cotton. And uh, that's a lot of cotton. Yeah. My mother raised six kids off of three thirty five an hour. So I, I learned the value of hard work and, uh, and, and the value of having a, um, what we call a, a, um, a family support in ways because we never had one. And so I understand that value. And so I, I, I decided to join the Army when I was 16 years old because I knew my mother couldn't pay for us to go to school. Okay. And so I uh, joined the Army at 16 and uh, did 29 years, two tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, was awarded the uh, Purple Heart Bronze Star Medal for service in the combat zone. And I, came, uh, I taught here in Milwaukee Public Schools for 22 years. I was a teacher, principal, turnaround principal for schools, was uh, selected national principal of the year, and uh, uh, went on to be interim superintendent of schools. And uh, after uh, a a tour in Afghanistan, um, I was appointed as emergency manager for the state of Wisconsin by Governor Evers. And uh, 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 emergency management, that is the lead state agency that deals with all natural and man-made disasters here within the state of Wisconsin. We also serve as the heartbeat of the COVID-19 response and uh, civil unrest action within, within the state. We work with law enforcement personnel all over the state and emergency managers all over the state. And um, uh, we did quite a bit of work with the Democratic National Convention when they were here. So we worked with uh, agencies from all over the uh, United States to make that happen. That's a tremendous um, history of, of amazing work that you've been a part of, Dr. Williams. Um, thank you for all the work that you've done and for sharing that with us. So how does that translate? What made you decide to to run for United States Senate? Well, I decided to run for the United States Senate based off many of the things that I saw in the seats that I sat in. And I said to myself, you know, I can make a difference here. I I, I think education is one of the most important things that we're dealing with at this point in time, especially as we bounce back from COVID. I think dealing with what's going on in uh, what was uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, 
was key. And I had opportunities. You know, I served a year over in uh, Afghanistan and a year in Iraq. And I worked uh, with uh, NATO personnel and people from other countries while I was in Afghanistan. Okay. Uh, I also looked at the civil unrest that was happening all around the nation and also right here within the state of Wisconsin. And I've been on the front lines of that. And also with the COVID-19 response, uh, emergency management has been there from the very beginning. And I said, these are some of the, uh, you know, uh, a few of the many things that are critical to us as a nation at this point in time. Also, when I looked at several of our schools that were closing uh, due to uh, climate change, and and so the climate change is a huge issue at this point in time. And uh, I sit on the governor's task force for climate change. And I said to myself, I can sit back and talk about what I think could be better or should, or I can get in this race and, and try to make a difference myself. And I decided to do the latter. And I think with my knowledge, skills, and background in those areas, I think it is key. I think this is one of the most important elections that we're going to have. And this is not a, a movie where you vote on the name you know or the person who has the most money. You want somebody with some knowledge, skills, and background in these areas that are really critical to us at this point in time, but also someone who can work with people and have experience working with people on both sides of the aisle to get things done at the federal level for us here at the state and at the local level. And I have that experience. Dr. Williams, I love how you um, weave everything together. I mean, you talk about your education experience um, as as a teacher and a, a leader in the uh, Milwaukee Public Schools and your work um, with the military and your work in public safety and environment and how all of these really uh, relate to each other and one impacts the other. So let's, let's break that down a little bit. Talk to us about your work and experience as an educator in Milwaukee Public Schools. Were you in the Milwaukee Public Schools your entire teaching career? I, was in, I, I came here from Mississippi and I was in Milwaukee Public Schools as, as a teacher. I was a part of the, uh, the union, the uh, Milwaukee Teacher Education Association. I was also building representative for them as well. So I understand what the, uh, the needs of teachers are. And uh, also, uh, when I became principal, I believe they said I was one of the youngest principals ever in the state of Wisconsin. I believe I was appointed, I was administrator when I was around 20, 23, 24 years old. Wow. And uh, I just, um, and so um, I've been, I worked at, uh, as turnaround principal at, mo- at the most challenging schools that we've had here within the state of Wisconsin, and, uh, and, and particularly in Milwaukee Public Schools. And I was able to go in there and really do some uh, great work. And, and, but it's just not me. It, it really takes a team. There's no one person that could go in there and do, an, and do it all. But it does take a person with leadership skills who can go in and work with people and to help make a difference inside of the schools. And I just thank God uh, for that ability and the people who I work with over the years to, to get that done. And one of the things that's just really key to me at this, at, you know, at this point. So I understand what's the issues that are plaguing many of our urban neighborhoods and, and many of our rural neighborhoods. I don't know a town more rural than Abbeville, Mississippi. I didn't have running water as a kid growing up till I was 16 years old. I understand what rural looks like, but I also understand what city poor looks like and what that looks like and how it manifests itself inside of our schools. I understand the challenges that, the challenges that are in our school that our teachers face on a, on a, on a daily basis. And, and I realize how important education is because if we don't do what we need, if we don't do a great job educating our kids, then we're going to see the results of that. Uh, manifested within our neighborhoods in a positive way or in a very negative way. As a, as a, as a principal, I realized that uh, many of our students were behind the eight ball and it manifested itself with, with, with violence inside of our neighborhoods. So I started what we call the uh, Student Leadership Initiative, where we took uh, some of our most challenging students and made leaders of them. And they had to take ownership of what went on inside of the school. And also they took ownership over what went on inside of the community. And we started to realize that when students took some ownership and, and, and started to value what went on inside of the community and the role that they could play in it to make a difference, they started to value themselves. 
And so that that worked out very well. Uh, and the superintendent at the time said, told all the the high schools in Milwaukee public schools at that time that they that he wanted a student leadership initiative started and modeled after the one that Dr. Williams had over at James Madison High School and over at Pulaski High School. So it expanded and uh, ended up being nearly a thousand students that were a part. But also, more um, uh, just as important, the whole issue around LGBTQ and those issues. You know, I see a lot of people that go around and they're uh, like at the Pride Parade. I saw some people who were just, um, who I've never seen at the Pride Parade before and, until they were running. And I attend the Pride Parade all the time, been doing that for years. And I think it's important that people know who these candidates are. I'm not a person that needs to walk up beside a person who's, uh, who's a part of the LGBT community and say, oh, take a picture. You know, I support. I've been in this work for a very long time. I, uh, at Pulaski High School, we started the Gay Straight Alliance uh, for students. And this was years before I even thought about running because this work is, is, is important at the time. And so we had uh, nearly 100 students who were a part of it, and we were recognized by GSAFE at the state of Wisconsin uh, for, our, for our efforts. And so in addition to that, the whole conversation around Asian, Asian hate. You know, being in the school system for as long as I have, these are not issues that we just need to bring up at the time that we're running for office or there's an election time. These are issues that our kids and our communities are facing every day. When I was a principal at Burroughs Middle School, and we're talking 2006, 2007, 2008, um, and at Madison High School, we had a, a a student Asian group to raise the voices of those uh, those issues and that those students were facing at that time and try to address those within our schools and within our communities. So this is not work that I'm doing just because I'm running for the U.S. Senate. This is work that I've been in for a very long time. And I will also tell you, uh, many people have heard of the NAACP, but, on, uh, but there are many towns that have not heard of LULAC, the League of United Latin American Citizens. Mm-hmm. And so in uh, Beloit, Wisconsin, where I, was, I served as the interim superintendent of schools, we had several groups that tried to raise the voices of, of uh, minority students. We had the Minority Excellence Organization, but, also, but, but we did not have a group that for our Latinx students. And I started uh, along with another young lady, Tasha Bell, and I, we brought LULAC to Rock County to Beloit, Wisconsin. And so within a year, we, we um, had one student chapter and there were over 60 students that became a part of it. And now there's two adult chapters in Rock County of Lulay because of our efforts. Now, this is work that I've been doing way before, way before I decided to run for U.S. Senate. So I say that to, to uh, say that to the listening audience because it's important. The question you have to ask yourself is, what work has somebody has has some of these candidates candidates been doing before they decided to run for the U.S. Senate? The difference between uh, uh, some of these candidates and myself, when you ask the question, "What sets you aside?" Yes. They, they they will tell you about things that they will do when they get in the U.S. Senate. I will tell you about things that I will continue to do because this is not new work. This is work that I've been doing over uh, for, for years. So, so what kind of work would you then do in the Senate? Is it an issue of giving schools, um, our public schools in Wisconsin and across the nation are severely underfunded, but that, that really is a state by state issue. Is the issue uh, improving funding so that schools can initiate these programs, or also the fact that you were with Milwaukee Public Schools and and you've talked about across the across the state. Um, you mentioned Madison and Beloit, and there wasn't enough funding, and yet you still succeeded in creating these programs. Is it flexibility or programs? What do you think you can do from the United States Senate level? Well, from the United States Senate level, this is important because I tell you this here. Um, we have to do a better job of educating our kids, one, yes, at the state level and in, and in each individual schools. But, we, we'll, but at the larger issue, 
we have to have people in front of our kids to teach them. And right now, there are many, as you, if you um, uh, go around to many colleges and universities, you, ve- you find very few uh, uh, students who are going into teaching as a profession. And okay. many of the, re- the reason is because there's not enough money. Uh, they're not, pay- not paid enough. And, and this is amazing to me. Here it is, the education. The greatest, great, uh, one of the greatest professions in the world, the only profession that I know that gives birth to all other professions, but it is the least paid and in many cases, lowest value, least value. And so we have got to pay our teachers more money to get more people in education. We do need more um, minority teachers because it's important that kids see teachers who look like them. Yes. But, at, but at this state, we just need great teachers in front of kids at this point in time. And it is key. And, 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 and the thing about it is in many districts, when I say we need more minority teachers, we need great teachers first. But it's important. There are districts where uh, I remember when I first went to Beloit, there was zero African-American men in the entire school district. And, and, that, and that's, that's, it. that's an issue. And anytime a kid can, can go from kindergarten through 12th grade, and never see a teacher who looks like them, that is a problem. Mm-hmm. That is a problem. And I don't care what race you are, that's an issue. And so we need to make sure that we do a better job. But the other side of the coin is we need to make sure that our teachers have the insurance insurance that they that they once had. It really hurt my heart to see teachers who, who worked for 35, 40 years educating our kids and now can't retire because of Act 10 and the impact that that had, and the and and they cannot afford to retire because they can't afford to pay that high insurance that they were once promised when they went into the teaching profession. I was one of them. And that's what got me here. The insurance. You and- talked about um, your work um, with the unions when you uh, worked as a teacher. How important is sort of worker rights and union rights? Not just in your um, right. You have the firsthand experience and knowledge of. Um, of the teaching profession, clearly, I mean, your your um, experience is just, you know, incredible depths. I appreciate all the work that you've done. And how can you help translate that into um, so many of the other, you know, working class jobs uh, across Wisconsin? Yes, this is important. I mean, unions are very, very important. And and it lies at the crux of, of keeping our economy and, and, and ensuring that our workforce has, um, you know, has fair wages, family supporting wages, and also work, uh, good working conditions. And without a union, I used to tell, uh, you know, uh, as a teacher, I strongly supported the union. Even as an administrator, um, I, I told all my teachers, I said, we're stronger with a union than without a union. And I say it's it's very important because you want to make sure that you continue to have those good wages and working conditions so that you are comfortable and that you can we can better educate our kids. And I say that because it is difficult to educate kids when you're worried about where your next meal is going to be coming from. Right. I mean, you need to have, you know, a peace of mind in the job that and, and, and job stability and and without a union. You, you 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 don't you don't necessarily have that, so it it is very important, um, and that's why I really I strongly support unions. And you know, as I said earlier, my mother she raised six kids off of three thirty five an hour, and I'm gonna tell you, that was tough. That yeah. was tough. And 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 I, I the last I remember her calling me and saying, "Look, Daryl, I just got a raise," and I said, "You've been she's been working on this job over thirty years," and she said she had just got a raise. And the, and the raise was, she said, I'm making $5.50 an hour now. And, and so I say that to say, if you don't have a good union, that's, that, I mean, that's really fighting for those type of equal rights, uh, those fair wages, then you could actually revert back. And yes. the thing about it is, whenever you even look at this whole situation around the voting, think about this right around the Voting Rights Act. As many years as people have fought and died in the past for us to even have the right to vote, the right for, for women's right to vote. In 2022, we're talking, this is on the table at this point in time. 
I mean, the democracy of our nation is at stake. And so I just say that and use that as an example, because if we don't support our unions and support our union jobs and fair rights for, for everyone, then we can revert back in many other areas, some seen and some unseen. Well, that makes me think of, you know, the United States Supreme Court. You mentioned the Voting Rights Act that that really struck down parts of the Voting Rights Act and sort of had made these statements of, you know, we've come so far, we've achieved what we need to have achieved. And, you know, I remember a statement, I'm going to paraphrase here, but statement by the late uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg that uh, paraphrase that sort of said, people think everything's fine. It's, it's equivalent to thinking it's not raining because you have an umbrella um, yeah. and not realizing yeah. the laws and the things that have protected us to help have gotten us where we are. When we dismantle them, we're actually moving backwards, as you say. Yes. Yes. That's, that's, that, this, this is why uh, one of the many reasons I decided to run for this U.S. Tennessee, because I, I, I believe I believe in women's rights. I believe in the the, uh, the right of all people to vote. And I it just really tugged at my heartstrings to see that there are efforts being made after years of progress, after many people have died. I, I would imagine that some of the people who fought and died for these rights for us to have are rolling over in their graves, graves to see that now uh, they're being, uh, they're, Efforts are being made to to take those away from the people. And I'll tell you another population that we don't even talk about that often. But I said, you know, you we 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 cannot forget about the people who are in our prison systems that still have the right to vote, but uh, but their their voices are being minimized. And so, just because you're in jail, that does not mean that you don't have the right. Uh, to vote. There are many people who are not convicted of a felony yet. Right, right. You're pending charges. Or if you've been released and you've served your time and paid back your duty, um, then you have a right to re-register and vote, but they've added so many barriers to that. Right. And, and 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 that's, think about all the things that we say that we really stand for within, within, within this, these United States of America. But yet, Whenever it comes time to vote, we put up all these kinds of barriers in place and come up with all kinds of rules and regulation to hinder the very people that we say that we care so much about and hush their voice. And 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 I don't think that that's right. And I don't think that that's fair. And I think that, um, you know, in the United States Senate, these are some of the things that I would definitely be uh, bringing to the table and 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 uh, uh, trying to make a difference on behalf of all of all people. It makes a difference. We're talking right now with Dr. Daryl Williams. He's a candidate for the United States Senate here in Wisconsin. Um, Dr. Williams, I want to talk a little bit about um, gun safety. Certainly a conversation that's happening now and your um, experience and thank you for your service in the U.S. military um, and your you know multiple tours. Uh, talk to us about balancing that, the need to um, it, it feels sometimes like there's a giant divide, military and police on one side, you know, civil rights on the other. But you clearly don't see that divide like that. Talk to us about how you bridge bridge that gap that exists. No, I, I don't see that divide like that. You know, I think I think in the world, you got to look at it like this as, as, a, as a nation. You have you have a couple of lines of defense. On, uh, the, our military is our first line of defense to make sure that we have. Uh, democracy and protect democracy and preserve democracy all over this nation and within our towns and within our states then you have you have our military with the national guard and also in our local towns we have our police officers you're looking at a person who strongly supports law enforcement but you know i do think that we have to rebuild that relationship and restore that trust and confidence between uh, our law enforcement agencies and our communities you know, because of all the civil unrest, and I, I have the, I have the, by virtue of my role as emergency manager for the state, I sit on the police executive group, and these are things that yeah. have been discussed, and and so these are not things that are out of the ordinary. This is a, there's an understanding, and even if you know, it's just like what Dr. Martin Luther King said: what what impacts one uh, uh, di- uh, directly impacts us all indirectly. So you may not have in certain issues in your town, but it impacts us all. 
I believe in the right to bear arms, but I do believe that there are too many guns getting in the hands of people who should not have them. Yes. Dr. Williams, it's been an honor talking with you. Um, we are almost out of time. Can you tell me, can you tell our listeners how they can learn more about your campaign and your candidacy and well, get to know you? Yeah, well, thank go ahead. You, thank you. Um, and um, you can visit us at williamsworksforwisconsin.com. And I, and I tell you, here's the, here's the difference. I mean, as, as, your, listeners, as your audience is listening and uh, they're saying, what separates me from everybody else? I want you to understand this. Education is one of the most important things that we're dealing with at, in this day and time. The, uh, the safety and security of our, of, of our nation, uh, especially with what's going on in, in um, Russia and Ukraine and so forth. Climate change is important. Civil unrest is important. Job stability is important. And my question to you is this. When those conversations are taking place about the education of our kids, don't you want someone sitting at the table with 26 years of, of experience, been a teacher, principal, turnaround principal, interim superintendent of schools, national principal of the year? When those issues around our military, what's happening with our veterans, got veterans over there fighting, the war, fighting wars, they can't feed their families here at home. We have to do better by our, our, our veterans, not only at, 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 on Veterans Day or on the 4th of July or Memorial Day, we have, to, we have to not only follow it up with our lips, but we have to follow it up with our actions. And so when those conversations are taking place at the highest levels, civil unrest, all those different issues, don't you want somebody with some knowledge, experience, and background sitting at the table representing you? And I'm going to tell you, there's not another candidate in this race with that type of knowledge, experience, and background other than myself. That's why I decided to run. And if it was, then I wouldn't have even been in this race. So thank wow. you. And I look for your support and your vote. Visit us at WilliamsWorkForWisconsin.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for running and all the work that you've done. And uh, best of luck on the campaign trail. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Daryl Williams, a candidate for Wisconsin's United States Senate. Thank you. And that's ending our show today. Thanks again to our two great guests, uh, Dr. Daryl Williams and Peter Pekarski. Thank you again to Rochelle for wrangling all these candidates and doing a fabulous producing job. Thank you, Teresa, for engineering. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with two more candidates. Remember, you are listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. Another-